listening to the Medic Materials Podcast, hosted by Mike Turek, Emily Yates, Kelsey Coons, and Gerard Cuomo. All are current EMS providers and educators with a combined 30 years experience. Each month, we discuss EMS news, medical science, and review actual EMS calls, bringing many educational opportunities to the listener. Portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of all involved. Hello and welcome everyone back to the Medic Materials Podcast. Uh, Gerard, you are uh, broadcasting over Skype from the Southern Tier Bunker. I am. Uh, And uh, we have one of our favorite guests with us today solely because I get to play the theme song that I'm going to steal in about two months for the newest uh, Medic Materials (laughs) show theme song. So uh, here we go, introducing... Thank you again for joining us. The Maha Butchie is with us. Going on. So he is, uh, in he is in the house. The uh, the girls are nowhere to be found. Uh, I couldn't get a hold of one of them, and the other one is working. Um, they're still trick or treating. <laughs> I mean, it's possible they're still trick or treating. Who knows? Um, that is uh, totally totally a possibility. I mean, one of them is still like a teenager. Actually, no, she's not right. a teenager anymore. She turned 20 this year. So oh, yeah. good for sure. her. Um, That's right. My bad. But, uh, <laughs> and the other one's probably sticking up the little kids for their candy. That's, so. That is so true. So true. So true. We are, we are attempting to get back on track. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, this, this episode's topic uh, is is interesting because I had I, I was at the state uh, EMS conference uh, just a few days ago and I actually had an interesting conversation with uh, one of the other instructors that just happened to be there paramedic instructors uh, and they were talking a lot about intubations and um, you know so we got into a, a conversation about like digital intubation versus you know direct versus video and you know like who even knew that people did digital intubations other than like my father-in-law anymore. Uh, but apparently, apparently it's, you know, a party trick that certain paramedics still do. Um, and, um, yeah, like for, for the young crowd, I'm not talking about digital as in like electronic, like video, I'm talking digital as in fingers. Like they stick their fingers down their throat, feel for the epiglottis and then just blind insert a tube past it. Um, but yeah, it's it, it kind of sparked a conversation between you and me, Gerard, in that uh, intubation is ooh message. Um, it's oh, I thought we were about to break a song. I don't know. I heard a ding. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, intubation is one of those skills that you know it's getting to the point where. 
EMTs all across the country can now do LMAs. They can do king tubes. Uh, and you're starting to see uh, paramedics numbers go down even further than what they were on first pass attempts. Um, and I, you had mentioned that you think it's probably important that we dedicate an episode to um, talking about, you know, when you should intubate, why you should intubate, how you should intubate, um, and, and kind of just, you know, have a, a generalized discussion revolving intubation. Uh, since, yeah. you know, even in our area, you know, or, you know, the, the Northern area, it's, it's a fairly terrible first pass success rate. Um, you know, and then if you look at, uh, the air medical, they have a very high first pass success rate for intubation and you kind of do the contrast of, well, what is, what are, what is their training programs doing and what are they doing that we're not other than just sheer volume of tubes. So, you know, like I, I kind of want to start in, in just, you know, where do you guys think uh, the intubation problem starts in EMS. Do you think it's a frequency problem? Do you think it's a training problem? Do you think it's a personnel problem? Like where do you think you need to, you know, kind of narrow down where the root cause of our issues are with intubations? Um, uh, for me, I think it's a, I think it's a frequency problem. Um, we just don't do it enough to be, you know, super proficient, like, you know, respiratory therapists, all of them, they're doing hundreds of them. You know, we might do, you know, 10 a year, you know, if that, maybe 15 a year, depending on, you know, What are you, crazy? 10 a year? I haven't done 10 there, in five. There are, there are people, well, have you met me? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's people out there in busy, you know, in busy, uh, uh, districts that, you know, I mean, it, it, they could probably, I mean, 15 might even be a freaking low end thing for them. But, uh, but still, I mean, we're not doing hundreds of them. You know, I don't right. care what EMS, you know, agency you're in. I mean, I, you're probably not doing hundreds a year, you know, like, uh, like they do in the hospitals and stuff to be proficient. So, yeah, I think it's, it's probably, it's, it's a proficiency thing. But then I think there's also a training thing where, you know, you mentioned the T word to, you know, a lot of these administrators and they don't hear the word training, they hear the word money. Yep. You know, yeah, it goes back to, you know, follow the follow the almighty dollar, um, yeah. you know, when and, and how many times have we talked about, you know, the training programs and the and the lack thereof. Uh, and, you know, there are agencies out there that do have the fundings that do put trainings together and, you know, more power to those agencies that have that. But a lot of times you're looking at, OK, do we train our providers to be more proficient in their skills or do I rub the two nickels together that I have to be able to put both of those providers on a truck to do calls? Right. So, you know, and, and there, and there shouldn't be that type of, uh, you know, cost management. It should be, well, we want our, our, our providers to be as proficient as possible. So let's make sure that they're trained and continuously trained and tested on their training and then we'll put them on the truck, you know? And then, but 
but let's say they even do that and then it's okay well we've trained you bye you and know it's not just and it's not just the train like yeah training you have to be proficient at the skill i mean studies prove that the more you do the better you are i mean like we do what three years you know every three months we go we go have a class we're like all right drop three or four tubes on a mannequin that you know you could you could do it with your eyes closed on a mannequin because we all know that mannequins are not real human beings like right trying to drop a tube on a human being when they're just dead and sloppy and you know trying right. to get past the tongue with anything is not a mannequin a mannequin with a stiff you know stiff nice tongue to put a blade in there is just so easy to do and then you have some of the old school guys that were that learned how to do it on a on a you know regular blade um and now they want to use a video scope and how many of us old timers have used a video scope and we just don't have that same muscle memory to do the, do that we learned how to do it with a bougie and you get these new guys oh you don't need the bougie man. and studies show that 98 percent first pass try with a bougie in a tube but oh you don't need a bougie just use the video blip and it's it just comes down to people just need to know how to use the tools you have in the bag to get the get the tube the first time it's well, yeah, and a lot of times, that, yeah. too, you, you, you know, to your point, Gerard, um, you know, frequency is definitely a main contributing factor, you know, in success of, you know, first pass. But also, it's also a determining factor for a lot of agencies to not train on certain pieces of equipment. Like, they'll literally sit there and they'll be like, oh, well, we don't use direct we use everything video, so why train on direct? Oh, well, why don't we even go one further, save some money, and just take all the direct blades right out of the bags, right? And right. Well, hey, you got you guys got the king tube for your backup. If if the if the video doesn't work, go to the king. It's that, bullshit. No, I mean, not, you know what? I, yeah, I know, I know. Like, it, it, it's it's absurd, and and it, and it's you know it, it's a multi. Who I'm gonna use big like like you know hoity toity words it's a multifaceted issue it's uh thank you yes that one that was a million dollar uh, phrase there uh yes it is it is multifaceted so you have you know the frequency that we do them the training that we don't get um and, and I, by training i don't mean hey this is how you intubate no i mean like hey it's been a while we should have an intubation class you know everyone just you know just come in for a lab and and just intubate shit all day long uh, we don't do that. Um, and then, then technique would be the other one. Uh, like you said, so, you know, I'm, I am, I'm a bougie convert, you know, I was doing my thing with my stylet and all that shit. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I know how to do it. I'm the freaking greatest paramedic on the face of the earth. And I'm watching these guys that have been doing this, you know, 10 times longer than me and who are freaking intubation gods. And I'm looking and I'm like, they all use bougies. Mm -hmm. They know something I don't know. Yep. Maybe I should change. Maybe I should try something different. Maybe I should do what they do. Which is, you know, which is a, just, just thinking about taking the opportunity to sit there and self reflect and be like, Hey, I might not be as good as I think I am. Let me change because I see something, you know, yeah, that's the mindset that you need, especially in EMS. Like we don't know everything. That's why we, you know, do these podcasts to be able to share ideas and be like, Hey, yeah, I never looked at it that way before. You know, right. I was the same way when I was an intermediate, 
I, I never used the bougie. The bougie was a rescue device. You know, like you took it out, you laid it there and you were like, okay, if I don't get my first tube, I'm going to switch to the bougie and try that on the second try. And then I'll go to the king after that. And, right. you know, cause that's what you were taught. Um, and again, it, it was, it was, uh, looking at other, other more advanced providers, i.e. my family members doing air medical to be like, no, you dumb buffoon. The bougie is the only way you should ever intubate anybody. And I was like, what? That's not true. And they're like, no, no, no. It's, it's very true. Like, this is why, you know, our air medical company has a 97% first pass success rate is because every single time we resuscitate, we pick the right blade and we use the bougie. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, fine. And then I tried it and I was like, oh my God, this is 10, like I'm 10 times faster with a bougie than I even was without one. Right. I, and, and I'm kind of in the same boat of like a, 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 you know, a convert of, yeah, I will always push a bougie now on younger paramedics, you know, and, and try and show them like, this is the way to go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, like, uh, you know, I've recently, uh, you know, met some resistance to the bougie from from some people. And, uh, you know, again, you know, it's a new it's a new place. It's a new area. They do things differently. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand. Yep. The stylet has its place and all that good stuff. But uh but yeah, you, you cannot argue with the data, you know, it's, it's like looking at the sky and, you know, knowing it's blue and saying, no, 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 you know, it looks kind of green today. You know, yeah. no, it, it's blue. And there's a reason it's blue. It, you know, um, it, 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 it's a little weird to get used to one. And, you know, the first couple of times it's, you know, it's like, it's so pliable and, and bouncy and flexy. You're like, there's no, way. this is, you know, you know, I'm going to intubate with this. I need something that's rigid. I need something that's going to go where I want it to go. And then you start realizing, you know, how you finesse it and how you hold it, you know, and then, yeah, it goes right in. Yeah. Every freaking time. It and then really once does. it's in, guess what? It's in. You can slide anything you want over that fucking thing and guess where it's going? Right into the fucking trachea. Pardon yep. my language. Well, no, I mean, you know? it's, it's so true. You don't, you don't have to worry about blood. You don't have to worry about vomit. You're in, you're in. So now, okay, it starts filling up. If I'm not using salad, right, if I'm not actually suctioning while I'm intubating and I'm just going off of, all right, I had a visual and now I'm losing that visual, I don't have to worry because as long as I don't literally pull that damn thing out, we're good. Slide yeah. the tube right over it. And I'm not one, and Butch, I'd like to see what your opinion is. Do you have, are, are you one of those, like, you know, wrap the tube and stick it in the hole and Kiwi technique or whatever the heck they call that, like holding the bougie in the tube. Cause I don't, I just like, I leave about eight, 10 inches down on the bougie and then I have the tube and the bougie in my hand and I just hold it at a higher level. So as soon as I'm in, I literally just start sliding the tube right down. 
Like, if I have room to do the loop on the bougie, I'll, I'll loop the bougie. But, I mean, if you're in a tight space and you got, you know, you need to do what you got to do. I mean, it dep- it's it's all situation dependent how I do it. But, yeah, I've learned to do it with the loop on the, you know, put the bougie in the tube and then, then loop it to keep control over everything. And, I can, you know, I can manipulate, manipulate it that way. But, uh, I mean, otherwise, I'll just I'll put the bougie in and have somebody slide the tube down on the on the bougie so and that's and that's so when i had this conversation with my wife a year or two ago she does the exact same thing she's like you hold on to the tube i'm like yeah like i just literally pinch it onto the bougie and then as soon as i you know have the bougie inside i just let pressure and then i slide the tube right down on the bougie um and she's like oh no 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 she's like i just have you know my partner feed it down and i was like i'm like Okay, I'm like, I, I get it. Like, I could easily have somebody do that. You know, Gerard, you and I could do that. An EMT could do that. Hell, a police officer could do that for all I care. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's well, no. definitely a technique well, that you could he, be uh, utilizing. If it was a police officer, uh, he would definitely administer at least four of Narcan before he did that. <laughs> 16 of Narcan. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. Because there's not just Their one protocol. police officer. Peace. Yeah, like if you're if you're RSIing somebody and you have the extra hands around, you want to make sure you have that tube. You want that bougie right there. You want that tube right there. I mean, obviously you're you're going to be using video scope and all the other goodies. But I mean, if you have all the hands available to do what you need to do, you're going to you know you have those hands be able to help you with that tube and the bougie and make sure everything is you know boom right you know right there. So boom, yeah, boom, boom. boom. <laughs> what is that magic thing? Bougie. Well, you know, you know just, uh... oh, we lost. There it hey. is. Are we back? You're back. You're back. I had, I had somebody oh. attempting to call me. Oh, that, that's uh, not allowed. We are confused. Unless it's the wife, and then it's allowed. Yeah, we need to put that do not disturb shit on. There we go. All right. So. No, anyway, that just fucked up my whole fucking John Madden uh, routine, so you might as well <laughs> cut it off right there before I go into it. <laughs> Because now, now it's fucking completely ruined. You know, we had a perfect setup for it. It was on the tee. I was, I was trying, setting you up. Trying, he had it set up, you know, boom, you know. And like, you know, you know bougie, you know, it, uh, you know it, uh, it's, it's a blue and, you know, you intubate a uh, trick, you know, and uh, boom, tube goes on. And then you get a fat guy dance. <laughs> then you get, you get an airway and you get a boom. <laughs> boom, you get an you, know, you can't breathe unless they got an airway. You got an so, airway, you can't breathe. Yeah, boom. So let's let, yeah. Boom. I I love the T setting up here, gentlemen, because you bring me to a, a good point, right? Um, thinking about all of the uh, you know tubes that I've done, it's not a intubation should not be a you know drawn out process you know you shouldn't take an hour to do it but you also it's not a rapid process either and no it is not and it's not it is not a life-saving process for the most part i have to you know that there's a big asterisk next to that but a lot of providers i think get in the mindset of okay i have a really sick patient they're hypotensive they're tachycardic their mental status is declining uh, I'm going to need to start breathing, you know, BVMing and providing ventilations for them. 
But, you know, what what I need to do is I need to intubate them right now because that's going to save them and they're not going to die on me. And then they they intubate them, whether it be because they're unresponsive and, you know, unconscious or they RSI them. And then they're wondering why they're immediately doing CPR. So can we go into, you know, the the process that you guys utilize um with a you know going forward with your determination of okay this is when I'm going to take over an airway and then your process of how you go about going from that decision to the actual attempt so uh, yeah i guess uh, like for me it's it's almost like uh, and it's funny i literally just went over cups with somebody who'd never heard of it today um or they just weren't familiar with it they may have heard of it but whatever but uh i, I kind of almost have the, the the cups mnemonic for you know applied to airway you know um stable airway meh you know we're good bls airway and, and, we're, and we're laughing you know uh you know unstable potentially unstable now i'm going to start thinking about you know taking care of things critical i mean it, it, that's to, to me if, if an airway is critical we've already passed the point when we should have been intubating so for me it, it's more like a, a potential for instability if, if if there's a compromise that i think is coming or if i think this patient is going to benefit from you know not being conscious and not having to you know continually breathe on their own um, then I will, I'll pull that trigger. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's definitely a case by case thing. It's not a, you know, X plus Y equals Z. It, it, it never happens. It's X plus Y equals the function of X and fucking quadratic and, you know, the Sir Isaac Newton's law and all that shit. So seven, <laughs> seven. it's always seven. Right, and then somebody gets the extension cord. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it, yeah, it's it's for me, it's like a, a potential for instability. I might put my hands on the narc box, and then for a definitely unstable airway, that there's no question, it, we're going in. Yeah, so. I look at it like uh, just like any other drug we have in the box. Like if if it comes down to the point where if I can breathe for that patient, keep them stable with just, you know, some BVM or just regular airway, you know, airway maneuvers, we're good to go. But when that patient comes down to that critical stage where, yeah, this patient needs me to take the airway, then I'll take the airway. But until that point, um, I'm going to do everything I can to not take that airway because that's a big decision. That's going to have a big detriment on that patient at, at some point, um, you know, it's going to have long-lasting effects on that patient's morbidity and mortality rate um, and, and post-hospital, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's the, in my opinion, it's the biggest invasive procedure that we do minus a trach. Like, it's, it, you know, like, you know, you could sit there and go, okay, you got, you got trachs, you got intubations, you got, you know, IOs. Okay, I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, why are you yeah. laughing, Gerard? 
Oh, wait. It's coming. <laughs> Remember that train wreck we talked about earlier? It's coming. Jesus. Uh... Did I walk into the wall of train wreck? No, no, no. no. So, so, let's talk, so about, you know... talk about the setup of intubation first, and then we'll talk about the train wreck. Oh, Jesus. So you, you know how... Uh... You know how in the movies, you know, the paratroopers, you know, they, they get up on the static line, right? The red light's on, and yep. then the back ramp opens up, and they're all standing there waiting. That's kind of what we've been doing this whole time. Yep. And yep. now you just the fucking light to green. Ooh. Yeah, yeah we're, get, we're getting there. Oh, goody. We just uh, haven't started going, moving you're, yet. You're going out the door. <laughs> you Yay. know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a toothpaste, too. You're going out the door. <laughs> yeah. So. So. I. So yeah, so we'll we'll do a hypothetical. All right, hey, maybe we'll we'll mix a little scenario in here, right? Okay. So here's your hypothetical. You have a patient with a unstable airway. We're not, we're past the point of of potential for instability. You have an unstable airway. You are in a system that does not have RSI capability. Your options are to nasally intubate or crike are in they, order to preserve the Are they the still airway. breathing? They're still breathing. They're still looking at you. They're still they're still talking. So but, so the the nasal intubation has it is completely uh, feasible in this scenario. Yes, okay. I, I agree. We're not missing one of the you know features like they're breathing and. We can't hear the bam and stuff like that. Right. Okay. Uh, I believe Butch has his finger up. Uh, yes, he does. Well, well, feasibly, in a, in a reasonable person's mind, a nasal intubation is feasible at this point. Continue. Correct. Fair. Carry on. Now, is there anything – so now you're, you're – let's just say your patient has a has a severe injury. You know, it's – you know, they're pretty jacked up. Is there anything you'd like to do before you nasally intubate them? Resuscitate them? Okay. Well, you'll say you've done that. We're, they, they got fluids going. Everything's good to go. Or we're, 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 we're ready to stick a tube in their nose. I mean, you do the, you do your normal process of nasal intubation. You do your afrin spray. You do your, you know, your lidocaine jelly and stuff, all that good stuff. You explain the process. Like... You get your bam, you're good, you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. You got your endotrol tube. You don't have and like and, an ET tube. And you know tube. what? The mannequin you're talking to right now agrees totally and says, sure, go ahead and stick that thing in my nose and down my airway. No problem. Okay. Now you're talking to a 17-year-old female that just went through, uh, I don't know, a car wreck. Okay. So... What is what is the is the injury like to somewhere else that now like you didn't elaborate? You're you're making this up. Like, let's say I the injury to... is to the neck, okay. and you and and it is swelling by the minute. Okay, it is a penetrating trauma. Okay, is so, that, is that taken care of? But you're the still. The bleed, the external bleeding is controlled, but there is enough damage that the swelling is increasing, and the patient is complaining of the, you know, sensation of their, 
you know, their airway closing and, and they're coughing now when they weren't before. And, uh, yeah, they're, you're obviously losing the airway while you're watching. Excuse me. Like, 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 like pulling teeth. I thought he would just jump right on it. Right. Who's jumping yeah, right on what? Huh? Who's jumping on what? I, I figured you, you, you would have the same mindset as me. I guess not. What is, what is your mindset? Mindset is my mindset is uh, call and get orders for some kind of sedative to, uh, you know, maybe 2.5 of Versed to remove the anxiety from the, uh, the patient. So this actually may have a chance of success. Okay. I'm not, I'm not against that. I was actually thinking in, in the brain of brains, um, that is there something pharmacological that we could do while we are setting this up to give us a better success for slowing down the swelling to that airway, right? Um, okay. So is it is it bleeding that is swelling the airway, right? Is it inflammation that's swelling that airway, right? It's a it's a both, yeah. Right. So you know if. We, we can't stop the bleeding per se, you know, we can stop the external, we can't stop the internal, um, mm -hmm. you know, but would, uh, again, this is all hypothetical, so why not just throw the book at them, right? Do we have, you know, uh, any type of steroid or, you know... Um, you have solumedrol. Okay, I mean... So you got, yeah. And at this point, you know, if you're going to be on the phone anyway, I, I like the fact of calling for, you know, a calming sedative, you know, okay. um, try and chill them out, try and get them not to be frantic and screaming. And cause I'm sure, you know, if they're young, they're going to be frantic and screaming, you know, even if they're old, they're going to be frantic and screaming if they have something stuck in their neck. Right. How about, let's say you gave them, uh, you know, like 50 of fentanyl. They're in pain too. Yep. Again, we, we've talked however many times about breaking the chain of pain, right? Breaks the anxiety chain as well. I'm yeah. good with it. Okay. So now would you consider any one of those options a medically facilitated intubation? No. Yeah. Well, apparently... There are places that do. I mean, and, uh, there's. They will tell you straight up, uh, can't call for the Versed. Even if doctor says, they say it's a medically facilitated intubation in the eyes of the state. So Even though it's a nasal intubation with using, you know, your, your benzo for not for sedation, but just so that the individual accepts what you're going to do without right. a fight. Right. And even if, you know, you don't, you don't have to knock them out. You right. can That's give, not them, you can give them one, 1. 1.5 and just right. chill. Here you go. Be chill. Right. You know, just some, so they, okay, you're just sticking it up my nose, whatever. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. That I'm looking for. I'm not looking to knock anybody out. Right. 
I don't think that but. is, that's not an MFI at all, right? However, no. when you, now, Butch, you were a paramedic when MFI was a thing, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because we didn't have RSI back then. Only air methods, had, only air crews had it. Right. And we had Atomidate uh, and pretty much Atomidate and Versa. That was our MFI. That was it. Right. So if I remember correctly, you did have to, you know, you had to sedate them and you had to wait X amount of while. And then you had to do like, it was a process. Yep. That is a facility. Like there is a controlled facilitated step list that you like yep. a checklist that you have to do. It's, it's MFI is still in the protocol. If you go in the protocol, there's still a medically facilitated innovation, right? They still accommodate Versed and fentanyl. Yeah. Um, but now we have RSI, so it's like, you know, it's, who's, it's buried in the protocol. Right. But. Who's going to need it? You know? Yeah. Um, People RSI. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it, Gerard. I, like I said, I was kind of thinking in the realm of, I was thinking more in the swelling, but I like where you're going with, you know, well, it, let's, let's actually allow them to be calm enough to do the procedure as well. Yeah. I don't see a problem with that. Well, you know, apparently uh, some people do, um, but it's, it's funny. You, you, you clued in on the, uh, on the steroid and you know, I didn't, but another individual that was working this scenario did. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you guys thought of something that I sure as shit didn't even think about. So yeah, that's I why, mean, that's why I love talking about calls. Think about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, other other dude was treating more respiratory stuff with other things, but that he didn't need to. But you know, for the most part, I mean, yeah, that was a uh, not a bad not a bad idea. Okay, so let, let's fast forward. Let's say uh, let's say you're adhering strictly to uh, you know the strict rules of golf and you choose not to nasally intubate and you just watch her airway slowly slip away, but she's still conscious. And now you're like, okay, I'm going to make a surgical airway. Do you call for that 1.5 or two of her said, or just something to calm her down when you're going to cut into her throat? Oh, absolutely. She'd be knocked out at that point. Nah, that's a medically facilitated intubation according to According to some people, and uh, how that's... is how is a crike in intubation? Because you stick something into the airway to breathe. See, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Endotracheal intubations are through <laughs> it's, it's the endotracheal intubation. Like, right, like like. <laughs> No, no. That's out though. Preemptive conversation we had. No, that does no, that does not make any sense whatsoever. See, okay, so so okay, let's let's play the devil's advocate card. Let's let's go on the other side of the coin here. Cool. I can't do MFI. I she's still conscious. I can't give her sedation to be able to intubate her nasally or you know, uh, sit there and, uh, you know, crike her. So why don't I just call her parents on the phone and be like, well, here, do you want to listen to your kid die in front of me? Cause that's mighty. Why don't you? 
I was you're not as harsh a, as that. You're doing a better service. Was. Yeah, you're doing a better service to her, her family. I mean, get the boyfriend and the dog on there to listen to. It's right. cool. And just, you know, let them listen to her suffocate on her own closed airway and yeah. drift off to the oblivion. And the answer was drive faster. That was the, that was the, yeah. What are you going to, and the answer was drive faster. That, that's some, that's some Yahoo medicine there, uh, Cletus. When you're, when you're an hour away from your closest facility. Yep. That's, that's some Yahoo medicine. Um, I mean, it's okay. It was eye opening. It, It shocked the living shit out of me. And, you know, I, I, I'm sure they all kind of saw my frustration and my surprise. And, you know, it wasn't directed at them. I know they're, they're working with their hands tied behind their backs too. And, and they know it's wrong. Um, they're not, not stupid. <laughs> These are not stupid people. They know what they know. It's not right. Uh, but they know that there's, you know, it's the way the system is written right now. And, but the, yeah, that really shocked the living shit out of me. I, I had no idea that that this is how it is. People, no, you can watch someone lose the consciousness and then do something, but you can't do anything late. to stop it from happening. Right. You know. You know. So and, and at that point, lots of pain, lots of pain management, and here we go. Which, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> which the funny thing is, is once there's a tube in, in place. You can do post sedation, uh, post intubation sedation. You're not doing sedation. You're doing pain management to drop the tube with fentanyl. But my, but my my point is is after it, and this was what was said. You can do versed and fentanyl and whatever you want after the tube's in. So I'm like, so I have to wait for them to freaking practically code or go completely unresponsive on me from being hypoxic. Uh, in which case now, who knows how, you know, if the airway is even, you're able to be even able to get a tube in there. You now, now you're going to have to well, freaking break them. Not even that too, but you also have to think of, look at not only the airway concerns that you're waiting there to get worse, but right. they're also, you know, I'm sure this is going to be a longer than four to six minute process. Mm-hmm. And you have a window of four to six minutes before irreparable, irreplaceable, like non-fixable brain damage occurs via hypoxia. So now, now you have literally just caused an anoxic brain injury in your patient by choosing to wait and watch them continue down the drain. Well, that's just it. No, not no. you're not choosing to. You're, you're 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 told to. Whatever whatever it might be. You're 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 handcuffed to the bed. Yep. It right. doesn't. It, you know. It's just the Sorry. the the cons outweigh the pros. Right. In in you know like in this scenario, you know, and yeah, it's I don't know. Yeah, I like I said, I I. I I wanted to give that to you just, you know, out of the blue. I didn't want you to get any, you know, beforehand knowledge of, of what I was going to ask you. Because I really wanted your your raw response to it. And I wanted to, you know, 
see what you would have to say. I knew what you were going to say. I, I knew exactly, you know, what your reaction would be. It's, it was, it was my reaction. <laughs> as, as well as mine. Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah. It was all of ours. We all had the same. And again, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, faulting the providers or, or anything like that. I mean, I, I, I understand they're, they're operating in it and, you know, it's just, you know, for, for whatever reason, um, you know, there's, there's some medical directors out there that, you know, <laughs> there are people to do all kinds of crazy shit, but for something as, and it is not that I don't have respect for it, but, but literally as simple as this, it's like, how dare you even, you know, consider, you know, this as an option. And it's right. like, <laughs> You know, excuse me. Yeah. RSI versus Craig thing. I was, wow. Well, and then, yeah. you know, so uh, again, we, we're, we're focused in on, on intubation in, in this episode. And I think one of the lost arts is nasal intubation, you know, yeah. um, you know, one of the, you guys had, had said, you know, and I, and I like both of your guys examples, right? Like Gerard, you kind of look at the airways like cups, right? Critically, uh, you know, is it critical? Is it unstable? Is it potentially unstable? Is it stable? You know, right. uh, and, and I kind of operate like you, Butch, in that I am like, all right, I am going to do whatever I can from a BLS to a pharmacological to a CPAP to a BVM before I need to get to, an, you know, to RSI and airway control, unless they're so bad that, like, I walk in and they're in that C, and I'm like, nope, we got to skip all that and go right to RSI. Been there, done that. Right. I mean, Gerard, you and I have done calls where you are like, nope, we're on C. Let's RSI right this second. And I'm like, whoa, let's <laughs> let's break it down. Let's brake pedal it here. Right. We'll get there. Let's just try this stuff first. Um, right. You know, and I don't think either one is wrong. So in, in the way I look at it, um, I look at things from a completely unique, different perspective in that I think about what my wife would do. So I will literally sit there and go, WWJD, what would Jess do? And I'll sit there and I'll go, okay. Bracelet. Right? I need a bracelet for it. And I will literally sit there and go, okay, would my wife intubate this patient? And if it's yes, I'm like, all right, we're, we're totally going down this road. You know, uh, that head injury that I called you, Gerard, when you and I were working at the same, uh, same agency, when I went for, for that dude, head injury fallen off of like a, a motorcycle or something. And I called you and was like, yo, uh, you're going to meet me here. Cause we're going to RSI. And you were like, "What, really? Like, what? What are we doing?" <laughs> no, no, I, no, no. I, re I remember my exact words. You're, you're like, "Hey, I need you to meet me at the park and ride. We're gonna RSI this dude." And I'm like, literally, my first words were, "You serious? You fucking with me?" And 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 I totally was 100 serious. And it solely was, "What would Jess do?" Like, I sat there and was like, "All right, I'm kind of on the fence. Like, I could." But I could also go the, eh, he'll probably make it to the hospital route. And then I was like, right. but my wife, if I told her about this scenario and she'd be like, well, why didn't you intubate him? 
And if I was like, I don't know, that means I probably should have. So that, that yep. you know, like, you know, when you should intubate your patients, right? right? You can clearly see like, I need to take this airway over, whether it's for airway control, for airway protection, whether it's for, you know, respiratory management and ventilation management, you know, when to take it over, it's just how you pull that trigger, you know? Right. So we talk a bunch in private um, about nasal intubation. And one of the calls that I did years ago, Gerard, you actually uh, are the one that lives inside the back of my head about nasal intubation because I was doing this call, whatever, and I couldn't RSI because I didn't have a second medic. And I'm telling you the whole story, and you're like, well, dumbass, why didn't you nasally intubate? And I was like, I didn't remember we could. <laughs> and and we totally could have, and, and it would have been a perfect candidate for it. Right, and why did I ask you that? I don't even remember. Because it was all like a, a few weeks before then when I forgot I could do it too. Oh, that's right. That is right. Yeah. 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 I couldn't get a second. Couldn't get a second medic to RSI, and I was like, "Oh well, I'm fucking bagging her all the way to the hospital. Yep. Let's do it, rock and roll." And off we went. And I got back, and Emily goes, "Well, why didn't you nasally intubate?" And I was like, "Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> so, how do we start reviving almost nasal intubation? Because clearly. I couldn't tell you the last time that we actually did a practice training on it. I've done it in my own practice just because after that, Gerard, I was like, oh, my God, I don't even remember, like, if I even could anymore, you know? Right. But, like, how how do we go and try and resurrect nasal intubation now that a lot of places have RSI capabilities? I think, and... and and what I'm finding out also, I mean, there's other places where yeah, you know, basic EMTs are dropping kings. Yeah. You know, so when you have, you know, let's say your, you know, ALS response unit is not first on scene, you know, your your second due or third due or the fire department's there before you with their EMTs, you show up, there's a king already in place. Now you're intubating less, you know? So, I mean, there's, yeah, um, how do you get back into it with all these other tools and all these other things going on? And there he is. And there he is, of course. <laughs> it's, it's not just the nasals. You were talking before about like digital intubations and things like that. I mean, when I started, that's what they taught you because there were, you know, you had a combi tube as a backup, and those things are absolutely terrible. But yep. That's what you know, I started like, on was combi tubes. Yep, I remember those. They taught us a digital intubate. Somebody, you stick your fingers down there and you split your fingers and you drop the tube in between, you know, and that's what they taught us. And I mean, all those things are lost arts now with the, and the you know, with video scopes coming in and like they're pushing those now. I understand it. Video scopes are a great tool when you train to use them and you use them correctly. But when you don't use them correctly, then you have a bad tube, you know, it's nobody no. uses DL anymore and you lose that skill, muscle memory and that. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, we are, there's medical directors out there that 
and agencies that literally say you are going to do all of first pass attempts with video, no matter what the situation. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. That that's why they created heaven criteria. Like there are specific reasons why I might try DL first in a, in a patient, not knocking video, but you know, video is not the end all be all. You know, and but, and go ahead, Gerard. No, same, but but not everybody knows heaven. No, I I understand. Like, uh, there's it. it and I mean, seems at, like at a high, you know, administrative level, they don't know it. Yeah, it almost seems you know like I mean? there's pockets of information out there. Um, yeah, I I don't. There is no, you know, this is the way to fix you know, intubation standards. Um, I think putting more, you know, training into cadaver labs and airway days that are not mannequin based, um, you know, are, Oh, I, I know, I know, but you know, maybe this is, maybe this is something that the bigger conferences can get into. Right. In that instead of offering sit down CMEs that somebody could do on their computer or listening to our podcast or something like that. Right. These bigger conferences offer cadaver labs where agencies or agencies agencies can send their providers to do cadaver labs and do IOs and do, you know, uh, intubations and do, you know, crikes and all this stuff on real human tissue, you know, that it's not just a pig trach or a whatever, or a mannequin or what, you know, this, that, the other thing, but we're actually practicing on real skin, bone, flesh, you know, it's a thought, you know, yeah. Is it money? It's a, it's a sure. Um, is it something that's even, that's feasible? I don't know. Um, I do know that the answer, you know, everything is going to go right, right back to Kaching. Yep. And you know, uh, at the end of the day, that's what that's why we have a, a training problem because nobody trains. You know, you, they teach once and then that's it. You're good to go. You know. Right. Yeah, and that you know, and you look at the the data to back that up. I mean, there's there's medical directors in certain uh, places. Um, one of the greatest things that we have about this show is that it reaches a snikey ton of people and mm. they reach out to me to talk about what we do and how we do it. And they, you know, thank us for giving them a different perspective on how a different part of the country works. So yeah. I get to sit there and I get to have conversations with these people that might be in Indiana or might be in Wyoming or might be in New Zealand. You know, yeah. and one of the things that is kind of across the board, at least in the United States, is there are a lot of medical directors. Excuse me. That um, riveting conversation. I know. Right. It's riveting <laughs> cotton um, that are willing and and trying to take intubation away from paramedics 
because our first pass success rate is so low, you know? And if we don't sit there and start realizing that that is 100%, you know, proportional to our level of understanding and training about intubations, then we're going to be, you know, one lost skill, one more lost skill that we're not allowed to do out in the field. And that just depletes our, you know, profession even more, you know? So, so doing airway trainings where you're going through scenarios like that, Gerard, where, yep, today you don't have RSI. What are you going to do? You know, to a, to an agency that's normally like, oh, I would RSI that. That, that was, yeah, that's totally what we're going to do. Nope, you don't have that today. You're in Gilboa. There's a cloud over Omaha. There's sheep in the middle of the road, and you need to you need to intubate, or you need to fix this airway. You know, right. what are you gonna do? You know, like the like the fire department chronicles guy. There's an octopus suction to right. the guy's face. You can't in anti-suctioning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you fix it, right? Um, but do we do that? No, we, we go, okay, well, here's a controlled environment and you don't have any problems intubate and you know, what's your dosage for rock? What's your dosage for sucks? You know, why are you choosing an accommodating sucks? Otherwise, other than it's easy to dose, you know, that's all we do. And we do it once a year. (laughs) That was for Emily. Um, it should be. Easy to do. It's easy to dose. It's easy to dose. Um, I wonder if Matt Damon would say it's easy to dose. Um, so, I you know, there's. I I think if we if. It it all starts by we as the provider, going into work, and going. You know what? Today I'm not gonna watch one whole full season of something on Netflix. I'm going to pull out the airway head. I'm going to, you know, grab my EMT and I'm going to say, Hey, um, we're going to run through some nasal intubations. You squeeze these lungs. Awesome sauce. Let's practice a couple tubes. Oh, Hey, have you ever learned salad? Let's, let's do some, you know, salad techniques and stuff like that. You know, let's do some suctioning during my intubation. You know, Fantasyland is a wonderful place to live. I, it's I can't wait to go there. It must be like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. You, you know? know, I saw yeah. Willy Wonka walking down the street the other day. <laughs> down, you know, freaking chocolate rivers. You know, it's, it's a beautiful place. It is, but, but we we can't. Reality, be, we're not going to do that. We can't be cynical, though. the The point. The whole point of us sitting here yammering on about how much we suck at intubations is giving a honest to God reason as to like, you know, how to fix it. And it, and yeah. it realistically, the administrators are not going to fix this problem. The airway nope. committees are not going to fix this problem. The state is going to overlook this problem. It comes down to us taking the initiative and not wanting to suck. So what, what does, I, I know, I've, I know I've heard it before. Cause you know, I've, I've talked to a couple people in air methods before. What, what does Jess have to do every month for her uh, compliance for airways to 
to keep compliant with it. So every quarter, so every three months, uh, she has to do a uh, what's called an HPS lab, which is just a practical skills lab. Uh, she's put through eight hours of skills day. Typically, there's like five hours of skills, and then they do some training, like vent training or whatever training they tack on to it. But there's at least four to five hours of practical skills labs, just like you would take in your, um, you know, in your state exam, except there's no sheet to flow, you know, like they don't have to sit there and go OP, QRST and sample, you know, they don't have to do that. They just run the call as they would with their, with their nurse and paramedic partner and they're critiqued. They're critiqued on their decision-making. They're critiqued on their skills. They're critiqued on their outcome of the patient, um, their thought process, all that good stuff. If they fail those stations, uh, then they are taking, taken off of flight status. They're then put on a personal improvement plan or a PIP, and they are told, okay, you have to do X, Y, and Z over the course of the next two weeks or three weeks to get your, to fulfill your PIP. And you have to report back to the, um, the clinical coordinators that are in charge of all of the clinicians in the state. So then, you know, so say she did really bad at intubations, right? And she, you know, couldn't intubate the mannequin to save her life. They would go, okay, Jess, you really suck at, at intubations. We're going to take you off of flight status. Then she's going to go to the hospital, and she's going to get put into, uh, you know, the OR where she's going to practice on real people as a student again, and then she's going to do her PIP. Then she's going to meet with the clinical directors again, and she's going to prove to them, hey, uh, yep, I actually have relearned how to do this. I'm proficient again. And if they believe, yes, you are, then you get put back on flight status. What do we do? Oh, hey, uh, you missed the, your last 16 tubes. Don't miss the next one. Carry on. No, make sure you make sure you show up for your next shift on time. Right. Yeah, make, sure, make sure you go to RSI class in three months. And uh, here you go. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, the point is, is, you know, but she's being paid uh, again, to do that. Yes. And that's it. This is all, you know, it's a, she works for the largest air medical company in the country. They have millions and millions and millions of dollars. They can afford to do this. She does, you know, four of these a year. She does a cadaver lab twice a year, right? They can do that, which is again, they put in best practice based off of evidence-based studies. They train and they and you wonder why they have a 97 i think it was like 97.7% statewide first pass intubation record right because they actually prove that the systems work they resuscitate right. they do it in you know every RSI is done exactly the same they you know look at the heaven criteria they don't always just use video they're put on you know training and retraining and training some more and yeah. if a if an intubation goes south, they're pulled into the office and goes, "What the fuck just happened?" They're not they're right. not sitting there going, "Oh, well, what is your excuse for you know killing your patient after you RSI'd them?" 
Their, theirs is, why didn't you resuscitate? Why wasn't the blood pressure here? Why wasn't the oxygen saturation here? Why didn't you use these six pieces of equipment that you had readily available that you just chose not to use, right? right. We don't do any of that, you know, in the large scale. Right. I do that on my intubations. Gerard, you do that on yours, you know, uh, Butch, you do that on yours. Like it's, it's very personal, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny because like, I look back at one of the agencies that I, I worked at, I did an RSI in front of one of the agency administrators and I went through my normal process, you know? Here's my RSI card. We're going to follow it letter by letter. I will not yep. move from A to B unless A is completely taken care of. Here you go. Blah, 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 blah. Drop the tube in like four seconds. And the agency head looks at me and goes, this is the smoothest, most calm RSI I've ever been a part of. That yep. was like, that was a brilliant tube. Why aren't they all like that? You know, they all can be. They uh, all can be like that, but we don't learn the process. We learn it, scary patient. They're about to die. We need to put a tube down their throat because somehow that's going to fix their blood pressure. That's 40 over uh, nothing. And we RSI and kill them. Well, and, and, and I mean, not even just that, but, but just the fact that, you know, again, we're, you know, we're talking about, you know, the lack of tra training. I, I mean, I will, I will definitely say, uh, you know, um, where I'm at now, I mean, they like training is like, it's paramount. Like they, they make damn sure everyone trains and you're paid to train. Yeah. You know, you have days where you will come in and you will just drop tubes all day long, just like, and they, and they do peer review and they do all kinds of stuff like that. So, I mean, there are places like that, but again, you got to have the money to do it and they got the money to do it. Right. Um, the other end of it that I guess, you know, would be more of us being able to fix is technique. Yeah. So, yeah. When you're going to do an RSI, you know, it's not, there's nothing rapid about it. How many times have we said it? You know, if this is a, you know, strict checklist based procedure, you know, it is, you know, step one leads to step two leads to step three. There's no variation and it should be run like that. So when someone sits there and they're astonished that an RSI was smooth and calm and performed, you know, without any muss or fuss, that's kind of scary. It is yeah. really because, scary. <laughs> you know? I I learned I learned a long time ago, like I had to basically uh learn from other medics and train myself because RSI wasn't a thing when I started. Uh like you say it was the MFI when I started. So, you know, you learn your own techniques, you learn your own you know, way to do things, but I was taught to like set up for failure from the beginning. So you have your stuff out ready to go, you, your, your narcs out, whatever you need, your your post-innovation stuff out, all the drugs you're going to need, all the syringes you're going to need out, have the needles out. You may not open them up right away. Your extra tubes out, your blade sizes out, you think you're going to need the sizes you may need if the blade you don't have out, like the tubes, bigger, smaller, you may not open them, but they're out. So, like, you're not fumbling when the oh shit happens, like, oh, wait, this is the wrong thing, you know? Right. right. Medics out there, a lot of them don't do that. Like, they'll just pull out, like, a size 7. They'll pull out a blade, and they'll be like, all right, we're good to go. No, you're not. Oh. Like, have all your shit out ready to go because inevitably some shit's going to happen, and, like, you're going to get in the airway and be like, uh, what is this? I mean, 
I've, I've been there, done that. Like, I, I literally intubated a, uh, I'll say, a younger adult one time. Uh, some stuff happened. I went to put that tube in. I dropped the tube, saw the cords went in, and literally a three-foot three shot of blood shot out of that tube. And I was like, uh, what is this? I mean, there was some trauma that happened inside, but yeah, it was just, I filled up three canisters of blood, and I was like, yeah, I called the doc. I, was, I don't know what this is, but I am in the airway. I saw it, visualized it, it went in. I have it on the video scope that this went in the airway, and I got a three-foot tube of blood shooting out of this tube right now. This is n not going to work. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah so that, I mean, there, there's our technique for preparation. There's our technique for, you know, um, doing things in a sequence, in an order, and in a very calm order. And then there's the actual, you know, technique itself. You know, I mean, you know, I, I can't, I, it's still like, it's like almost like, like disbelief when I hear people talking about, you know, oh, yeah, we, you just lay down and you intubate, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, Who the fuck lays no, down? no, why, why are you laying down? Why are, you know, why your success rate is so low? You're not setting yourself up for success. If, if you're in a position where, you know, your page, your option is to lay down and attempt an ET intubation because there's no other option to, to, you know, get a definitive airway right then and there, well, then put a fucking king in. Put a fucking king in because you're not going to be successful. Yep. You know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fail more than you, you will succeed. If you can get your patient into, you know, the ambulance or wherever, have somebody, you know, get behind them, whatever it takes to, you know, get them propped up. Like you always say, 30 degrees, get that freaking, you know, get that torso up. That's going to, you know, your oxygenation is going to be better. They're going to, they're not going to be satisfied. You're going to get a better look at the cords. Well, and you know, your, your body ergonomics are going to be in a better position. Right. And it's funny because like, um, Listening to two points on this, I, I got to go back to, to what you said, Butch. You know, we set up for for failure, um, and that's, that's a good strategy to think about. But I also think that that, that is a two-pronged message in that the way we are setting up now will cause failure. And that is, you're not, you know, you're not setting up all your equipment. You're taking, you know, you're rushing. Uh, oh my God, we need to lay them down. We need to do this. We need to jack out, you know, and hyperextend the airway and, you know, do that nasty head tilt chin lift. And then they're like, well, I couldn't get the tube after six tries. It was really anterior. Yeah, because you made it that way, right? You didn't sit there and put them 30 degrees head elevated either on the stretcher or take your first in bag and dump it underneath their shoulders to do the exact same thing. Right. That's what I do in all cardiac arrests. I take my first in bag. I lift up the patient right on the Lucas. I stuff it underneath their shoulders. And now when I put them back, they're 30 degrees or darn near close enough that I'm good enough to intubate. Like right. we're, we're, you know, use what you have, um, you know, utilizing the bougie, Right. There was something that we talked about an hour ago, you know, and not using the stylet using, you know, not just what you're comfortable with, but what what should be used first pass based off of the evaluation of that airway. 
You know, is it a really filthy airway? There's lots of blood and goo in it. I'm not going to try a video blade first because it's going to get gummed up. Even with, you know, suction and, you know, you bury the, you know, the suction tip in the esophagus, you're suction all that out. You're still going to get goo on your camera. So then you're going to go sure. in and you're going to go, oh, look, I can't see anything. And you're, oh, there's your first attempt, right? So why don't you make yep. the best the best choice and go in DL first and go, okay, I'm going to salad this. I'm going to suction and then I'm going to try this DL, right? So I, yeah, I think it, it needs to be a more rigor, you know, rigorous step-by-step -step process of retraining the minds and paramedic instructors should start this process of, you know, training the new providers to be yeah. very systematic. Here is the way you do every single intubation because like, right. like every IV is exactly the same, right? Gentlemen, every single yeah. one, right? Every single, you know, IO is exactly the same. Why do we always think that every airway is going to be different? We all have the same anatomy, right? right? Every single airway intubation should be exactly the same. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's a technique thing for the most part. And I mean, you're not, not discounting some of the, you know, the, the weird anatomies out there, but yeah, I mean, you know, for the most part, yeah, our success rate should be so much higher because, you know, we could just do a few things to, to just set ourselves up for, for success and we don't do it. We do. It's, it's almost like we work against ourselves. Like, you know, the whole laying down flat on the ground and oh, I'm going to debate them while they're flat and I'm going to lay down here flat, you know, on, wh wh why, why are you even trying? And how do you, cause that's how they do in school. And that's exactly it. How do we train? Oh. Right. We train. All the all evidence is, is proves that the other way is, is better. Yep. It's more successful, yep. you know, but well, so. back in the day when, you know, backboards were still a thing and, they used to teach you like PTS, PHCLS class to intubate people with collars on on a backboard and you lay them flat and they teach you trauma intubations. And, yeah. But now you don't have that and you can do the 30 degrees. And yeah, they used to teach you how to intubate people like that, flat on their backs with it was, it was a whole technique. And yeah, it was crazy, but you know. Yeah. And you know, it's. Do. But at the same point, it's like, why are we, why haven't we updated the curriculum? You know, because that's the way we've always done it. And right. and the yet kill, the killer sentence of EMS. And yet we right. still think <laughs> that somehow we are progressive, you know, and we're and we're so much better than we were in 1962, you know, and it's like, no, no, we're not, you oh, know, yeah. even even looking back, you know, uh, to my early career watching paramedics, it was every single intubation laying down every yeah. single one cardiac arrest boom on the floor right in the schmuck it's like ugh yep you you can keep that i'll just stay over here you know yeah. what do people do now they still do the exact same thing you know and like oh yeah we have a respiratory patient that's in respiratory failure what do we need to do we need to bag them first off so what are we going to do we're going to lay them down Absolutely. Why would we do that? But that's, we've always done it. that's what li it is. It is amazing to me, gentlemen, 
how I did a CME. I did my BVM CME uh, earlier this year. And the amount of faces in the crowd that had their like look of my mind is blown. Why have we never been taught this over the last 30 years? It was like three quarters of the crowd. A couple of them actually came up afterwards and was like, yeah, um, why isn't this like a thing? Why isn't this like in the curriculum? I'm like, it's in mine. My EMT students learn this. I'm like, I don't know why other people aren't learning this. I don't know why the books aren't teaching this. You know, I don't know. I don't know why there is this disconnect between information and the way we teach our, our students. You know, it takes so long for something to get updated that we're always 10 years behind the information. I, I, I hate to say it, but it's still about the money. I mean, they don't want to catch up with the times because it's going to cost money to put things in the ambulance for people to use. You know, at some point, that can't be an excuse anymore. You know, it, I realistically, that can't be an excuse anymore. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think if we set up for success and we teach the right techniques, you know, you, you learn the technique for the devices that you're utilizing, you learn the specialty techniques like suction, uh, you know, suction assisted. What, how, what is actually, I, I forget. Suction assisted decontamination something. Yeah, laryngoscopic something decontamination uh, is solid. Right. But it's literally suctioning the esophagus with the yank hour underneath your blade, right? Um, I did a TikTok on it like a year ago. And yeah, like learning those techniques and and going about it in a systematic approach, not forgetting that, oh, hey, I can intubate this conscious person nasally. And then sedate them. Or maybe I don't even have to sedate them. Gerard, your big pet peeve that we didn't even touch base on. The non-need for RSI if they're unconscious, unresponsive with no gag reflex. Right. Just, right. just drop a tube. They're unconscious, unresponsive, have no gag reflex. What the fuck do you need to push drugs for? Right. Put the tube in and then sedate. Bingo. Done. But, but there's... There's another thing that most of us go, well, they're unconscious, unresponsive. We need to RSI them and protect the airway. And it's like, well, do they have a gag reflex? And you're like, well, no, but we're going to RSI them. And you're like, well, why? You know, it's something that now we have this tool and we always forget about what we did prior to having the fun, fancy toy, you know? And, you know, and, and we need to get back into those critical aspects of it. You know, um, there should be written in the protocols, not just intubation for respiratory patients, but nasal intubation for your respiratory patients. That should be a line in there. So when people are reading it, they go, Oh, that's right. I can actually do that. 
Maybe it is for other people. I don't know. But in our area, yeah. it's not. It's not there. You know? I don't know. Any uh, any any parting words from you guys? Good. You're up. Butch is up. <laughs> <laughs> just I don't know. It's just the whole. Yeah, you gotta you gotta plan for the success of the intubation. Train. Um, and if the if the people, the agencies you're working for aren't training the right way, just push for the training. I mean, it's only way we're going to get proficient to be able to do the, do the skills we need to do. And do it yourself is another yeah. thing too. take it in your own hands and do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I would say, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't be a dick, but, be quiet either if you think something needs to be different say it there's professional ways of saying things there's ways of saying things without being an asshole and without pissing people off but if there is something that you do not see that you know that you see this that you just do not think is right say it have a you know yeah uh, don't just say oh, it sucks because i want to do this no no i mean like actually have evidence that you can point to and say, look, this is why this is a bad idea. Right. This is why this is a good idea. Yep. You know? Yeah. This whole land on the, on, on the freaking ground and trying to no, know that is a bad idea. Here's the evidence that shows better success rates when you have an elevated patient. Here's, you know, the evidence that shows your patients hold their freaking sats up 98% for longer. You know, but for sometimes an obscenely long amount of time. Yep. Which I've seen with two eyes. You know, it's you have to have the evidence to point to, but yeah, find the evidence and don't be quiet about it. Speak up because people need to start speaking up because you know there's patients that are going to be dying because people are just stuck in their old ways. Well, and I think I I think the. You know, not only, you know, take it in your own hands and, and learn and train and, you know, do even if the company is not doing the right thing, do to the best of your ability the right thing. You know, the companies that you and I were working for when we were doing RSIs were not doing checklists. We're not doing smooth and fancy RSIs. They were doing the normal Yahoo RSI. And, you know, you and I said, we're not going to be a part of that. We're going to do it our way. We're going to follow the rules, but we're going to do it in a very systematic approach. And we always had very good successes. And I, and, yeah. and I think you can bend the rules and wiggle around the gray area and yeah. do really good work. You know, you can get yourself a heaven card. You can get yourself a, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to sit there and resuscitate and the ability to get all of your stuff out and prepared and you can take your time and you can go, okay, I'm going to do this systematically and have really good success at the end. Right. You can do that as your, as the, the, provider that's choosing to do that right and 
there is always that one person in every agency that the rest of the agency is going to look at and go, okay, well, they're either Billy Badass, right? Or they're like, why are they doing it like that? And they're going to be the one to open up that line of questions of like, oh, hey, I did an RSI with Turek and his went really, really, really easy. But then I did an RSI over here with, you know, Cletus and that was a shit show. I don't ever want to do another one with Cletus ever again. Right. Nobody wants to do one with Cletus. No, no one wants to do anything with Cletus. And I think that goes a long way into building the the uh the backing to be able to go to management and be like hey guys um clearly there's a problem you know right. get your EMTs on board get other paramedics on board you know and go to management with those facts hey why are we doing this we need to seriously evaluate this you know positioning during intubation why are we still laying people down right here's the eight studies that show that 30 degrees head elevated is better, right? Right. I've intubated my last eight patients with 30 degrees head elevated, and it's been 100% success. Before that, I laid everybody down, and I had a 40% success rate. Where is the difference? You know, show them the data. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to fix the problem. Yeah, if and if if you want your numbers to come up, there's how you do it, right? That literally is it right there. For when it comes to technique, you know, us training and all that aside, yeah, we still need the training. We need, you know, all that other good stuff. But yeah, it, recognize your chance of success. Recognize that you know what, you know, we're on a beach, you know, we're flat on the sand. My patient needs an airway. Is this the best time for me to, you know, pull out my ET stuff and, and go for a, an ET? You know, or is it better I just jam a king in and we rock and roll? And I'll wait for the next time when I can intubate somebody, you know, have a better chance of success to do it. Right. That is how you get your numbers up, you know, have the, you know, the tools that you can use, you know, RSI, things like that. You know, so people that you, you know, maybe didn't intubate before that really needed it. um, You know, you now have an opportunity to do it. You know, that helps raise some numbers too. You know I mean? It's like, you know, (laughs) I use the Babe Ruth example, you know, record for, you know, home runs, record for strikeouts. Yep. Can't hit a home run unless you swing the bat. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and there's, there's a logic to going in and, you know, preparing for success from the start. Like, I don't ever sit there and go, okay, this is going to be a terribly hard airway and I'm probably going to miss. Because if I if I even think that from the start, I'm like, nope, that I'm king, boom, done. It's like it's like doing IVs. You know, the right. moment you sit down and go, oh man, I'm gonna miss this one. Hey, you're gonna fucking miss. Right, and it happens every time, <laughs> guaranteed. Happens every, every single time. time. Yep. I think you know having that you know uh, thought process of I am going to do this. It's it's gonna be easy. I got this. And I, you know, and, and set yourself up to be able to, to get that success. You know, that's all we can ask, you know, and then look at those numbers. I, you know, I, I agree. I think if, if you show data that says, this is what we did without it, this is what we did with it. 
you know, I, I think maybe that will, will propel the change, you know? Because he, I mean, opinions are opinions, and you can argue with opinions. Facts are facts. You cannot argue with facts. Certain people can. <laughs> well, no, we're not talking about politics. We're talking about facts. So. <laughs> Actual facts. You Actual know, facts. The uh, Titanic's iceberg and sank. You can't see, argue with it. You, you can't say, you see Facebook, oh, it, it you can argue with donut. It. You know? Well, the fact is, we talked a really long time, so I'm going to wrap this up and uh, say to everybody, thank you all for the continued support. Uh, thank you to uh, all the people that I met at the uh, state uh, conference in here uh, in New York uh, that I was a part of uh, this past weekend. I met a lot of you guys that hopefully are now listening to this show. Uh, there seemed to be a huge interest uh, surrounding this uh, this podcast, guys. So, uh, Gerard, hopefully, uh, you know, you grace them with the best closing line of any podcast ever. Go. Donuts. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like more information on the podcast or to send us a call to review, visit medicmaterials.com forward slash podcast. To learn more information, like us on Facebook at Medic Materials EDU. Or watch our weekly instructional videos on the Medic Materials YouTube channel.